to the thought that I want you to kind of get in your mind as we start. What to do when you need an answer. What to do when you need an answer. Because I know, I've been around long enough, and, and a lot of you have too, that most of the time, life will give us more questions than it does answers. And a lot of times, we want to know the answer, we want it to know what it is, but a lot of times when we get it, we still struggle because it's not the answer that we expected. It's not the answer that we wanted. And these questions sometimes that just seem to bombard our minds. If you've ever went somewhere, if you've got kids or ever went somewhere with kids, you know what they do when you're in the car ride. They ask all sorts of questions. Are we there yet? Who made God? I mean, you never know what you're going to get, right? When, you, when they've just got hours of boredom in the back seat. When I was growing up, you didn't have a, a television mounted to the back seat or an iPad to keep you busy or headphones. You just had to look out the window and count corn stalks if you were going through Ohio or whatever. If you had somebody with you, you played punch buggy. You remember that? You ever play that? Punch each other in the arm and after a while you don't see one so you just punch them just because. And then mom and dad's punching you because you're fighting back there. But nonetheless, there's a lot of questions, isn't there, in life. What do you do when you're going through something and you need an answer? And you're depending on God and you're waiting on God. Or maybe you're not doing that. We're going to look at this message today. We're going to look at this text today. And hopefully be able to give you some help. and Some encouragement for that. There was a story of a photographer for a newspaper. And he was sent out to this place in California where there were some forest fires going on. And his job was to, to take pictures of what was going on and the devastation that was happening back in that place. And he drove out to where it was and the smoke was so thick that he wasn't able to really get any good shots from where he was. So he called the publisher and explained to him. And they said, we have a small plane waiting for you at the local airport. He will take you up in the sky where you can get some pictures of that. So he, he drove over as fast as he could to the airport. He got on the plane. He jumped in and he said, take off, let's go. And so the pilot got him up in the air and they were flying out towards where the forest fires were. And, and he told the pilot, he said, I need you to go down as low as you can. I need you to get down there close as you can so that, uh, so that we can see better. And the pilot said, well, why on earth? Do you want me to do that? And he said, don't you understand? I'm a photographer. My job is to go down there and get pictures of what's going on. And the pilot kind of looked around with big eyes and he said, I thought you were the instructor. <laughs> that flew over some of your heads, but that's all right. You'll, you'll get it later. The, the point of that is that guy was in trouble. The man flying the plane didn't know quite what he was doing. And the guy with the, the camera thought that he was an experienced pilot, and he wasn't. So they had their signals crossed. And at the end of the day, they might have both been in a little bit of trouble. And it's usually when we get in trouble that we're seeking some answers, aren't we? That's usually the time where we really would like God to just sit down next to us and put His arm around us and say, it's going to be okay because here's exactly how it's going to pan out. God walks with us through the trials and through the troubles. But oftentimes, we have no idea where He's taking us. And we have no idea where we're going. But let me tell you this. If God's leading, you're going in the right place. You're going in the right place. 
So I want you to see some things from this text today. Look with me, Daniel chapter 2. And I want you to notice something it says in verse 1. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Notice that, plural. It didn't say he had a dream. It says he had dreams. And his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. I'm sure most of us have been in that place. Maybe not from a dream, but just from life. Where your mind just will not shut off. That you've got so many things going through there and so many questions that you are looking for an answer for that you can't even rest. Like you may sleep, but you don't rest. There's a big difference. Can I get an amen there? There's a big difference when you don't get rest. You know? And so Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. That word is literal. If you've ever seen someone take like a horseshoe or something, an old-fashioned anvil, and just beat the daylights out of that thing. That's the idea. He was troubled. It just kept hitting him. Life hits us like that, doesn't it? Sometimes it just is relentless to continue to just seem to pound away at us. And that's what was going on in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And we shouldn't be shocked by those kinds of things because the Bible says in Job 14.1 that man who is born of a woman is few of days and what? Full of trouble. We often think, God, I just wish you'd scoop a little out of the bucket there. I don't have to be flowing over with trouble. But the fact is, most of the time, there's a lot of trouble in life, if we're honest. But that doesn't mean that we can't live with hope. That doesn't mean that we can't live with joy. It doesn't mean that we can't live with purpose. Because God is bigger than our troubles, church. But what do we do when we need an answer? What do we do there? Nebuchadnezzar was seeking answers. And I want us to see some things first from his example about maybe what not to do. What not to do. Look at verses 2 and 3. He said, it says, the Bible tells us, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell him, the king, his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So he probably, now it's in the singular, he probably had the same dream over and over again, because it was plural in the beginning, right? So this dream continues to haunt him, and he's, he's seeking answers. But here's point number one that I want you to see from our text today. The king is seeking an answer from the wrong place. What do you do when you need an answer? Well, number one... You need to not go to the wrong place to get it. It says that he called the magicians. In our, in our modern day, we might call them the fortune tellers. He got on the phone and called Miss Cleo. Remember her? Remember Miss Cleo from back when that was a long show my age now. But he got on the phone and he said, I need you to tell me what this means. Some of you remember Miss Cleo. YouTube it. You'll find out who I'm talking about. You have no idea who I'm talking about, and that's okay. The fortune tellers. He called them. He called the astrologers. Some of you in here do this. Hand me that paper, I need to check my horoscope. You ain't going to find anything in the horoscope that's going to answer your questions. You might get some quaint quote and cliches and little things, and, and they write them things vague enough so it could apply to anything, and people read those and they eat it up and say, Oh boy! Man, that thing's right on the money. I'm a Libra. My, my wife is a Virgo, and, and that thing told me just what she was. No, it didn't. 
they wrote things in there that could apply to just about anybody in any situation, and you're just, you're just eating it up because you want to answer. And so you'll look anywhere. That's how a lot of times these false prophets and these, these phonies get people's money. They're desperate. They want to answer. They want healing. Well, if you'll sow a seed of faith and send me X amount of dollars, God will bless you. God will give you this. God can do all that stuff, but He don't need you to send $5,000 to some shyster to do it. That's the reality. If God wants to touch you, He'll touch you. If you want to give, you ought to give out of worship, but not to be bribed and manipulated to get something out of it. He calls the astrologers. He calls the sorcerers. This would have been like the mediums, people that speak with the dead, the occultic kind of practices. He called them in too. Maybe they could get in touch with someone on the other side to be able to tell him about the dreams. And then finally he calls in the Chaldeans. These would have been the religious men of the day, the gurus. They would have been the ones that supposedly could communicate with the gods. Because remember, in Babylon, there wasn't the one true God. There was multiple gods. And so he didn't care which one he got connected with as long as somebody could give him the answer to what he was seeking. I want to ask you a question that kind of applies to what Nebuchadnezzar did. When trouble comes, where do you turn for an answer? When trouble comes in your life, where do you turn for an answer? So many people today turn to all sorts of things. Some people turn to a bottle. Some people turn to pills. Some people turn to sex. Some people turn to religion. But the wrong kind of religion. The wrong types of things. And as a result, that bad advice or those bad things that you turn to will not give you answers. They'll only make your problems worse. They'll only make things... Oh, they may mask it. They may, for a season, make you on the outside feel a little bit better. But that stirring in your heart, that that thing like Nebuchadnezzar had that wouldn't let him rest, those questions that were burning deep down in his soul will not be found and answered by anything in this world. They've got to come from outside of this world. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 19... That confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. If you've ever had a tooth that was broke, you know how bad that hurts. You know how miserable you are. If you've ever broken a bone in your foot or anywhere, you know how painful that can be. The Bible describes that same type of pain when you put confidence in an unfaithful or an ungodly man or even any kind of ungodly source. All right? It's not going to give you the answers that you want. So Nebuchadnezzar is looking for an answer from the wrong place. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been doing the same thing. You're trying to get answers and God has not moved yet and you've become impatient or lost a little bit of your faith and so you've went everywhere else trying to get an answer. Google is not going to be able to help you with what you're struggling with this morning. It's just not. And the bad thing about it is when you get on Google and you look for answers, a lot of times you'll pull up some article written by some, some nut that has no idea what he's doing either, and he writes it. Or the worst, even worse than that, we get on Facebook or social media and we look for answers on there. Right? We look, we look and try to ask a question on Facebook. Everybody's got an answer on Facebook for anything you want to ask. Some of the most brilliant doctors, theologians, lawyers, and everything else 
live in their mom's basement and get on Facebook and tell you exactly what you need. I'm telling you, don't go there for answers. Don't go there for hope and help. Go to the book. Go to the Lord. Go to the church. Seek godly counsel from people that will love you and tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. There's a big difference. Nebuchadnezzar was looking in the wrong place. And I want you to see in verses 4 through 13, I'm not going to read all those, but the Chaldeans don't have an answer, do they? They just kind of go with a back and forth and, and they say, well, I'll tell you what, king, you tell us what the dream was and then we'll tell you what it means. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know not only what it meant, but what did I dream? Now, there's differing opinions. Did he, did he forget and not have a recollection of the dream? Or was he kind of testing them? I, I tend to feel a little bit more towards that, that. That in a sense, he was testing them to see, I want you to tell me the dream. Anybody can make up some nonsense about what it meant. But if you're really who you say you are, you'll be able to tell me the dream. And so they're going back and forth because they know this is way above their pay scale. They can't do it. They're not able to do that for him. And so look at some of the things that they do. Look at it in verse 4. They start out by, by trying to puff him up, build him up a little bit. Oh, king, live forever. See, they try to, they try to get, him, get him thinking about other things, thinking how great he is, and maybe they'll forget how, he'll forget just how uh, inefficient they are about doing this. And then in verse 7, they start to try to compromise him. They, they said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and, and then we'll show the interpretation. And it finally goes on until we get down to about verse 10 or so. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. They finally admitted it, didn't they? It took a while. It took trying to build him up. It took trying to buy some time. But eventually they had to admit, we don't have an answer for you. Where do you go when you need an answer? You're looking at all the wrong places. It's not doing it for you. And finally you're going to come to the realization, whether they admit it or not, that they just don't have what you're looking for. It's not out there. It's not in any one of these people that you've been confiding in. You're not going to find it there. And I want us to think a little bit about how often do we know what we need to do, but we fail to do it. It's not, we talked about this, I told Jeff I didn't know how much I'd have to preach this morning because he preached most of my message in Sunday school. And I love it when God does that because it just affirms. Because listen, I've been going verse by verse, week by week. I didn't coordinate this. I didn't plan a way ahead of time say, Jeff, I want you to do this Sunday school on this date because I'm going to preach this message on this date. It just confirms to me that God has me where I need to be and the church is where it needs to be. And so when we think about this, we often know what we need to do, but there's a disconnect between our minds and our heart and our feet. You know, somewhere in those three, things get clogged up and bottled up. And God's trying to free you. We sang that song, Chainbreaker. He's trying to free you from the doubt and the unbelief. He's trying to break you free from the bad relationships and the things that you've been trusting in so that you can follow Him. So that you can look for answers in the right place. I'm using a lot of older illustrations today, not intentionally, but just seem to be where I found a lot of them. And so you guys might not remember this except in your history books. It's sad that what they're learning in history is what I lived. 
But, but you know, in night, I was little at this time, but some of you remember Mount St. Helens erupting in the eight, 1980? Yep. Well, there's a big volcano out there, and, and for two months, this thing was doing all sorts of stuff. It was rumbling and smoking, and they were, they were warning people. They said, something is about to happen. You need to get out of here. Clear this area because it's going to be bad soon. And most people did. But like anything else, there's always these people that think, well, it won't happen. Or, well, I'll ride it out. It always, it's always humorous, not in a good way. But when these big hurricanes are coming towards Florida, and there's always a few folks, and they live from here to, to, to the youth up here, away from the beach, and they're out there with their two-by-fours, nailing it on the window, saying, we're just going to ride this thing out. 200-mile-an-hour wind, trusting in a two-by-four to keep them anchored down. I'm glad I got something a lot more solid anchoring me this morning than a two-by-four. But this, this volcano was getting ready to erupt, and there was a story I found. There was a guy by the name of Harry Randall Truman. He was 83 years old. You get cantankerous as you get older. Can I get an Amen. You get a little more stubborn as you get older. I found that out already. Jim, don't praise too much about that. <laughs> he lived out there. He was a caretaker of a lodge that was very close to where Mount St. Helens was. It's called Spirit Lake. And here's what he said to the reporters when they asked him about why he's hanging out here when this thing is supposed to blow at any time. He said, I don't have any idea whether it will blow but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. They, he was warned and warned and told, and he rejected that counsel. Says it on May 18, 1980, that thing blew up, and boy did it blow up, didn't it? Big time. It says Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from the volcanic eruption, and his body was never found. There's some of you that come every week faithfully. And I thank God for that. I'm glad you're here. But God has been dealing with you. He's been telling you what you need to do. He's called you to do something. He's pleaded with you to be saved. He's called you to serve, whatever it is. And every week, you're just like Mr. Truman. You're saying, maybe next time. Maybe next week. I'm worried about what people are going to think. I don't know if I can do it. What if I come forward and I fail again? All these questions. God doesn't make mistakes. If He's dealing with you, if He's calling you, it's because He wants you. It's because it is time for you. I don't care what anybody else is doing. You just need to worry about what He's doing in your life. That's what you need. And so the Chaldeans didn't have the answer for Nebuchadnezzar. He needed an answer. He went to them first. Bad idea because they couldn't help him. But then, we start to see some positive changes. Look at verses 14 to 18. He goes to young Daniel. Daniel, remember, when he got there, he was about 14. Now he's about 17. And so God had blessed him because of his obedience. God had blessed him with all sorts of wisdom and knowledge. And Daniel knows how to get an answer. Daniel knows how to get an answer. Look at what he says in verse 16. Daniel goes into the king. There's that boldness again. Remember we talked about the courage and the boldness that Daniel received as he obeyed God. 
As he trusted God, there was courage and boldness that became evident in his life. It says, Daniel went in and he requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. He said, I'll tell you what. You get your secretary to check your schedule and pen me in and I'll be back. And I'll let you know what your dream was and what it means. First of all, man, wasn't it just bold to go in there? He didn't have the answer when he went in. He didn't go in there with the answer. But he had so much faith and trust in his God that he went in and made an appointment to give the king something that he didn't even have yet. That's faith. That's faith. A lot of us won't move until God's already given us the answer. A lot of times we won't do until God gives us everything we need. And in my Bible, when I read it, most of the time God gives a call. Hello, Abraham. I'm going to need you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go somewhere that you have no idea. Have a great day. He didn't tell him how he was getting there, when he was getting there, who was going to go with him. He just said, you're supposed to go. I am the Lord. That's my command. I'll see you when you get there. And we wait and we wait to move when God has already called us to just trust Him. You're looking for the big picture when God is just going to give you what you need as you go. You've got to put one foot in front of the other and follow Him. And a lot of us, we run off way over here and we say, Come on God, I know where I'm going. Don't we? Let God lead you. And He'll never let you down. He'll never fail to provide for what you need. We get ourselves all worked up with the questions and we go to the wrong places for answers. And we find out that the world can't give us answers. But we need to look at someone like Daniel who understood how to get an answer. And not let the worries and the what-ifs and God, I just need to know a little bit more, all those things. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a lot of you know this verse by heart. It's probably your life verse for some of you. Do not be anxious about anything. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to not be anxious about anything. That's one of them things, again, where we know that we shouldn't. We know that we don't need to. But getting it from here to here to your feet to move you is tough sometimes. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everything. I always... always have some kind of feeling when people say they'll be going through something and I'll ask them, I'll say, well, have you prayed about it? And they'll say something like, well, I don't want to bother God with my little problem. God cares about your little problem. God is big enough to deal with your little problem. Or you say, well, I've, I've been to God so many times, He's probably tired of hearing me. I've asked so many times. He commands you to keep asking. He's not tired of you. He's waiting for you to ask again. But in everything... By prayer and supplication. Look at this. This is the part where I think we miss it. With what? Say it again. Say it like you mean it. Well, thanks. There you go. I, I just want to make sure some of you just woke up. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Too often, we just simply want the answer. And God is trying to get us to trust Him that the answer is there. And it will come. That's right. 
but He wants you to have enough faith to move before the answer comes. Because a lot of times we say, well, I'm just, I'm just waiting for that answer. I've talked to people about doing things in church and they'll say, well, I'm praying about it, but God just ain't answered yet. Knowing that they have the gifts to do it, they have the desire to do it, that God is probably dealing with them about it, but they're waiting for their cell phone to ring or a text to go off. and Hey, hey Bill, this is God. Just wanted to confirm to you that, uh, that I have in fact been dealing with you and yes, I did give you those gifts and yes, there is that need at church and yes, your neighbor's lost and yes, it does say in the Bible that we're supposed to share our faith and witness. Yes, I just wanted to let you know that I do in fact believe what I, what I had inspired and written down and I would like you to do that. That's what we're waiting for and it's not usually going to happen like that. He tells us most of what we need is already in here, guys. Again, it's just a reality that it's up here. It may be even in here. But you're scared to death to start doing this and moving. Your faith, we talked about this in Sunday school, your faith has got to be lived out. Amen. You've got to put your belief into action at some point. We can shout and sing and preach and do all that stuff. But it will have very little power if we don't take it outside these walls and let it affect the way that we talk and think and live and love our neighbors. Daniel, look what he did. Daniel knew, number one, where to get an answer. He knew that God was going to provide, even though he hadn't yet. He said, make the appointment, I'll come back with an answer. But then look what else Daniel does. This is so good for us to learn this. He trusted God. And then look at what he does in verse 17. In verse 17 it says, Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Daniel had some folks in his life that he knew loved God and had wisdom too. And I cannot tell you how important it is to have some of those folks in your life. And if you don't, there is something that you need to pray about. God, put some people in my life that know how to get in the throne room of God, that know how to pray down heaven, and that will not only pray for me, but with me. And that they will be there when I need them. Because we all have situations in life where we need others to help us. I love the story of Mark chapter 2 where the man is laying on the mat flat out crippled. He can't do a thing for himself. But he had four buddies that loved him, didn't he? And those four men, they picked him up on that mat and they took him to the meeting where Jesus was and it was so packed that you couldn't even get in through the door. And they didn't look at him and say, I'm sorry, it's crowded, it's, it's, we got here too late, we'll come back next week. They said, we're going to get help. We're going to get you to Jesus. Doesn't matter what's needed, we're going to do it. And they climbed up on the roof. Can you imagine if all of a sudden the drywall started cracking and all that stuff fell down on Jocelyn's head and all of a sudden some guy on a cot came down through the ceiling? You'd get the Holy Ghost this morning if that happened, wouldn't you? You'd be up moving around like never before if we saw something like that happen. But that's what they did for this guy. And he touched him. And he said, take up your bed and walk. 
And he did that. But the thing that I love is what he tells them. He said, their faith has made you whole. It's not that he didn't have his own faith, but they put their faith to action. They did for him something that he couldn't do. I can't believe for you this morning. I can pray for you. I can love you. I can minister to you. But I can't make God meet your needs. That's between you and Him. You have got to have a faith for yourself. Mom and Dad can't save you. Preacher can't save you. George and Melody can't save you. Grandma and Grandpa can't save you. The church can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Jesus can save you. But you've got to place your faith in Him. That's a decision that you must make. And these men, Daniel knew he could count on them. He went to them and he got in their presence. And you say, well, what did they do? What did they do when they got together? Well, verse 18 tells us, He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They sought God's mercy. Grace, you've probably heard this before, grace is receiving from God what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. They wanted mercy from God. They knew that the king meant business. That he was going to kill and maybe had been killing all of these wise men and sorcerers and magicians that couldn't provide an answer. And Daniel understood the seriousness of the situation. He knew that if he didn't get an answer from God, that his head was going to be chopped off next, along with his buddies. And he said, God, I need you to give me what I don't deserve. I need you to help me to not get what I deserve, rather. The king said he's going to chop off our heads. But I know you can answer. I know you can provide. Because I know who you are, God. Why did Daniel have the courage to pray that kind of prayer? Because Daniel knew the God he was praying to. It's hard for you to trust anyone if you don't know anything about them. If you haven't built some kind of relationship. Trust is built and earned over time, is it not? And so if you don't walk with God, if, this, if the only time you have any kind of interaction with God is Sunday for an hour, occasionally, you're not going to know Him very well to trust Him. Especially when all those things hit you in life. But Daniel knew him. And he knew about him. And it affected his heart and his walk. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful. He's compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is the God of Scripture. That is the God that you can know today through faith. That is the God that you can be reconciled and brought back together with through Jesus Christ. God is not up there angry and ready to throw you away. He's not angry and up there waiting to cast you aside. He's waiting for you to respond to the call on your life. The call to be saved. The call to serve. The call to obey. The call to trust. Whatever it is that God has been dealing with you about, He's waiting for you to put your feet in motion. He's waiting for you to respond. And just like Daniel believed what happened, look at verse 19. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. 
Daniel went in with boldness. He put his faith into action. He said, I don't have the answer, but by golly, I know God enough to know he'll do it. He got some prayer partners that would come alongside of him and believe and ask for the same thing, and they sought God's mercy and they got it. Amen. Our God answers prayer. Yes, he might not be in your time, might not be in your way, but our God will answer. Amen. We heard in the Sunday school lesson this morning that when you ask, you've got to ask in faith. You can't be a double-minded man. I talked about that last week. You've got to ask in faith. You've got to ask believing that God will provide. And oftentimes, He will do just that. But then I want you to see what else happens. God gives the answer, and Daniel worships God because of the answer. When, when we want answers, and God gives us those answers, how do we respond? How do we often respond, or worse yet, do we fail to often respond to God in praise and worship when He answers us? He goes out and, and begins to quote these Old Testament Scriptures. It says, in the end of verse 19, Daniel blessed the Lord, the God of heaven. And he sings these, or at least recites these verses to God in praise and adoration. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke. It was the second sermon I ever preached was from this text. Luke chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. Jesus is in this town, and He's passing through, and there's these lepers. Now, we don't have leper colonies, to my knowledge, in America anywhere, but it was common at this time and in this portion of the country. And the Levitical law caused them to be outside, if they were Jews, outside of the people of God. They literally had to separate themselves because of their disease, stand on the outskirts of town, and if anybody came close, they had to scream out, Unclean! Unclean! So that you would stay away from them. I believe that's a picture in a sense of, of what sin does in our lives to God. It separates us from Him. We are unclean before a holy God. But the difference is, the town folk, they said, you stay over there. Don't come around me. I don't want none of that stuff on me. And they would avoid those people. They would stay away from those people. I love when I read the Gospels and over and over, Jesus walked up and touched lepers. He walked up and loved lepers because Jesus loves sinners. Because that's all there is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Some of us may have a little bit more on us, in us, and around us. But we're all sinners in need of grace. We're all sinners in need of mercy. If you're in here today and, and you've done things that would make the devil blush, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Because this is where you can get answers and you can get help. I'm not just saying that. I'm not offering you an empty promise. I'm offering you something that God said He can do in your life. But in that story with the lepers, in verse 13 of Luke 17... They see Jesus coming, and they cry out, look what they say. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We're in a bad place. We need an answer. Please, God, have mercy on us. Look at verse 14. When He saw them, He said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Notice that. They said, 
give us mercy, which in a nutshell meant, heal us. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. Don't miss those next lines. As they went, they were cleansed. He told them to do something before he answered. And as they responded in obedience and faith, the answer came. That's the theme of the Bible over and over again. I'm saying it because I want you to understand if you're waiting for answers to come, if God has given you a small part, go with it. If He's called you to follow Him, if He's called you to trust Him, if He's called you to do this or that, and you say, well, I'm, that's not really the answer, though. I, I need more answers. I need more information. We are so overwhelmed in our society today with information that we, we, we can't go without it, right? That's why some of you are up till 3 in the morning scrolling through Google trying to find out how many babies a giraffe has or some crazy question that pops in your mind, right? I mean, we just, we're overwhelmed with information. God doesn't give us everything at once. We couldn't handle it, guys. If God told you everything you needed right now, you would just be so overwhelmed and so weighed down and so probably in awe. God gives you what you need when you need it. And He wants you to trust Him with the rest. But look what happens in verses 15 and 16. Look what happens. Then, how many were there? Ten. Don't be afraid. Ten. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And what did he do? Praise God with what? Loud voice. Say it for me, Baptist. With what? You don't have to be afraid to get happy about God. Again, I'm not just saying that because I I want you to put on some show. But it's okay to get happy about God. Lord knows you were on the edge of your seat last night from 7.30 to 10. Right? You was mad and then you was happy. When that fourth quarter ended and they pulled it out, some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ohio State. They won that game. And some of you were happy, and you said, Thank you, Ryan Day. You got us through. Thank you, Buckeyes. And you'll be back next week to worship again. (laughs) But when we come in here, we leave it outside. We say, It's got to be quiet now. Don't want to raise my hand. What will people think? We're Baptists, and we can't show any emotion. They praised God with a loud voice. This one man did. And then, what happens? What's the next verse say? He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and did what? Gave him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Not only was he a leper, but he was a Samaritan. He had two strikes against him. This guy should have not had any business being around any Jew, especially this Jew, this Jesus. And here he is at his feet, giving praise and worship to him. Because Jesus changed this man. And that's what Jesus does for sinners. He changes us from the inside out. He takes what is unclean and makes us holy. He makes what is unusable, usable. He takes people that were cursed and gives them a blessing. That's what Jesus can do for you. But you're standing here week after week saying, Well, I just don't know. I I hear what you're saying, but you just don't know my situation. You just don't know my sin. You just don't know my struggle. You're right, I don't, but He does. 
Do you not think that He's able to take care of your need? Paul already said he was the chief of sinners. You don't have to try to claim that title. He's already given that to somebody else. So if he'd saved the chief, he can take care of the Indians. Amen? He can do it. And he will do it. But look what he says. Sad verse right here. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? I wonder how many times God could ask that of our church or our families. You got the answer. God provided. God's been good to you. And you fail to give Him thanks for what He's done. You fail to worship Him for how good He's been to you. I think too often Baptists have short-term memories. We forget what God has done for us. We forget how good God's been to us. We forget just what He did when He saved us from hell. Friends, do you realize as bad as this life gets, eternity's going to be a lot, lot better because of what Jesus did for you? Jesus took your sin and He took the wrath of God in your place. So that in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because He has overcome the world. He died for you and you can live for Him. That is the reality of this. There was a story. I'm almost done, I promise. There was a story. These two friends bumped into each other out on the street. They hadn't seen each other in a while. And the one friend just looked miserable. I mean, he just looked like life had just tore him down. And his friend said, My goodness, what on earth has been going on in your life that you look this way? And he said, Three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $50,000. And he said, well, that's terrible about your uncle, but what a blessing that you were able to, to get such a, such a nice inheritance. And he said, that's not all. He said, two weeks ago, a cousin I didn't even know about died. And he said, he left me $100,000. And he said, well, again, I'm sorry for your loss, but, but man, it sounds like Another blessing came to you, at least financially. And he said, yeah, well, what about this? He said, last week my aunt died, and she left me $250,000. And the friend's kind of confused at this point. I mean, he understands the grieving to a point. But he's like, man, you, you have been blessed in the midst of difficult circumstances. I just don't understand why you look as down and discouraged as you do. And he said, I'll tell you why. He said, I haven't got a thing this week. Went over your head again. Some of you got it. Reach back there and catch it. That's how we are sometimes. God is good to us over and over and over again. And we forget to thank Him and be grateful to Him for all the stuff He's done for us. We're just worried about what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me today? If God saves you, He's done more than you ever needed or deserved. You should praise Him for that. Last one, I'm done. Verses 24 through 30. When Daniel got to answer, not only did he worship God, he went and told other people about how to know this God who answers. I won't read all that, but he basically went to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, I've got your answer and I want to tell you how I got the answer. He didn't glory in himself. He could have said, let me tell you about how great I am. Let me tell you about how skilled I am. He didn't turn the attention on himself. He brought all glory to God. He pointed people to God. I hope that's what you do as a believer. You ought to point people to Jesus and people ought to see 
the power and the glory of God in you and on your life. And if you've lost that, if you don't have that, you can get it back. We give the devil too many of the things that God has given us. We hand them over too easily. You want your joy? Get it back. You want your assurance? Take it back. You want your peace? Go get it back. Stop letting the enemy have the things that God has promised to His children. They are all yours in Christ Jesus. And too many people choose to go on in life and live without those things. You need them. And you can have them. But you've got to take the step to do what God wants you to do. If you need an answer, you need to start trusting Him with the things that He has provided for you. Last two verses and then we'll close. Verses 27 and 28. These are amazing verses. It says there, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter or magician or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Verse 28 will make a Baptist shout. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. One God. Not all these gods that you've got idols set up for, king. They can't do nothing for you. And you found that out. But there is a God in heaven, he says, who reveals mysteries. And he is made known to the king. Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter, dra- latter days? Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. And he will begin next week, we'll look at it, about what he told him. But I just want to close with that thought. Boy, oh boy, there is a God in heaven. I'm glad today that just because there's some distance, physical distance between where we are at K. Russo Baptist Church and where he is seated in the heavenly places does not cause a problem for him. Because not only is he in heaven, but God the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. He is right there with you. In all of your situations and circumstances, He is present with you. There is a God in heaven, the Creator of all things, including you, You say, I don't know what my purpose is in life. You are made in the image of God. He loves you with an everlasting love. Your purpose is to know Him. Your purpose is to glorify Him. Your purpose is to live and work for Him until you go to be with Him. And so many people, we overcomplicate things way too much. We're always looking for this kind of sign and that kind of revelation, and we ignore what we already have complacency in our lives will cause us to miss God in the everyday. God is in the routine. He's in the mundane. He is there. What are you doing with the opportunities that you have? Stop looking over the fence at the grass over there. If God wants you over there, He'll put you over the fence or He'll move the fence. But He's got you where He's got you today. What are you doing with today? Stop worrying about tomorrow and use today. Because there is a God in heaven. He holds His people in His hand. There is a God in heaven. He holds tomorrow in His hand. There is a God in heaven that is able to do above and beyond everything that you ever think or ask according to His riches in glory, the Bible says. That is the God in heaven. And most of all, there is a God in heaven 
who sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross 2,000 years ago. Why would He do that? Why? Why? He did that because He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The biggest question that you should ask yourself this morning is, if I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven? And if your answer is, yes, because I'm a good person, yes, because I went to church on Sunday and listened to pastor, yes, because I got baptized, yes, because I brought my Bible, yes, because my child is in children's church, if your answer is anything other than yes, because there was a time when I was lost and undone and God convicted me, He showed me I was guilty, He showed me that hell was my destination if something didn't happen, and He called me to turn around and come to Him. That's what it means to be saved. That's why we give an invitation. To be saved means that you are on the broad road headed towards hell. And if you stay on that path, you will die lost. But God says, turn around and come to me and I will save you and forgive you. I will save you from hell. I'll save you from your sins. And I'll give you a relationship with me. That's what it means. And if you've done that, then you can answer that question with assurance. If the evidence of that is in your life. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Doesn't say perfect creation. Doesn't say sinless creation. But you're new. Things have changed and are changing. If there's never been a change, if you're still out running around doing the same wicked things with the same wicked people and have no conviction, no desire to be any different, then my friends, as lovingly as I can say it, you didn't get what you say you got. That's bad English, but it's good preaching. You did not get what you say you got. But you can have the real thing if you'll really and humbly and repentantly come and receive it. And if you're a Christian, you can glory in the fact that you will never, ever, ever again be under the condemnation of God, but you certainly can be under the chastisement of God when you fail to live for Him and do what He wants you to do. There is people today that God... He's called you. He's dealing with you. I know that. Because I've preached long enough to know when God burdens my heart and gives me the discernment to feel in a service what the Holy Spirit is doing. I know that. And I've felt it two weeks and I feel it today. Amen. And I'm not saying that to try to guilt you or manipulate you to respond. I'm giving you another warning that God does not have to keep dealing with you. He does not have to keep offering you another chance and another chance. And another chance. He may graciously do that to you or for you. Or you may walk out of here today and fall over dead in the parking lot. I don't know which one it'll be. But I know that if you get things right today, whether you live to be 100 or you die right now, you will wake up in eternity. And that's what matters. Phyllis, Jaden, you come. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a psalm invitation. And if God is dealing with you, you don't even have to wait for the song. The invitation is all service long. You come while I'm praying. But the main thing is you respond.